as the entire media industrial complex focuses its collective attention on Marjorie Taylor Greene, we're dedicating the time and attention that the topic deserves here on Ruthless. And there it is. Welcome to Ruthless. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you regret this? And you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Okay, fellas. Perfect. Exactly gotta, right. That's exactly right. So let's more. get into this. Let's nothing get into more. this. They're not going to control what we talk about, damn it. Nope. Nobody nope. is. Nobody. We're going to talk about a really important stuff, which starts with an incredible interview that we have on the program. Great one. Right, on the Variety program. Um, and it's Pete Snyder. He's a guy who I've known for a number of years. He's a businessman from Virginia. Uh, he and his wife have been huge philanthropists. They've done incredible things for, for people across the Commonwealth of, of Virginia. But more importantly, he decided he's running for governor. Mm-hmm. And the reason he got back on my radar was because uh, I think last week we here on the Variety program tackled the issue of schools being open. Mm-hmm. And immediately I got a ton of incoming from listeners saying, hey, man, we love that. You got to talk to this guy, Pete, about what he's saying, because he, he's going to all of these school board meetings, like personally, and, and like really waging war with teachers unions and, and trying to get kids back in school. Well, I, I just, I admire the hell out of it. Anyway, we sit down with him with a really, really good chat here in the program. And you know how he got on my radar, how I, I heard about him. He partnered with uh, uh, Portnoy to start the, bar, the Barstool Fund. Totally. And that's, I mean, that's that's another cause, you know, small businesses and getting kids back in school. Let's go. Yeah. I mean, look, we're, we're uh, I'm a fan of, of everything that Dave Portnoy has done with regard to small businesses and raising money. What I didn't know is that he had partnered with Pete at some point this fall because Pete, I went back and looked researching for the for the interview itself. He started the Virginia 30 day fund which was essentially what, what Dave is now doing through, through Barstool. He started that on like the first week of April, 2020. So like people mm-hmm. hadn't even been out of their jobs for three weeks and he had already started delivering cash to these businesses so they could pay employees and stay open. It's really incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we got that. And, um, you know, I, I know there's probably a lot of people disappointed that we didn't open with a song. <laughs> We, we, we can't do it every week, folks. You can't. You, you got to leave them wanting a little bit. Duncan, do you have any, you have any thoughts on uh, where we might go from here? Anything crooning? Well, I mean, it's a variety program. It's, right. not, it's not just singing. And uh, I don't want to spoil anything here, <laughs> but uh, the fellows and I, and including a, a few other folks we've dragged into this project, are, are, are going to be doing a special uh, release uh, of a, a podcast episode, maybe tomorrow, maybe sometime over the weekend. We're not exactly sure. It's a lot of work we've been putting into this. It's going <laughs> to be incredible. But it's going to be a good addition to the Variety program. I, I can promise you one thing. Having gone through a pre-production meeting on the planning stages of this, 
you're going to enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I, I mean, I'm already very proud of it and we haven't even finished it. Wait till you folks hear it. So, so, but without further ado, we don't want to leave people wanting for this particular program. And so we want yeah, to get, get into it, as we say, to the meat of the program. Um, and, and you know what I want to start with? What's that? Is, you know, we all made jokes of how, oh, you know, all these things are going to just disappear once Biden gets into office because journals won't cover it. It's all going to get, you know, just plastered over the kids in the cages. You knew it was going to happen. And they've completely rebranded having the kids in the cages as overflow facilities. This is one of the most amazing developments. And it, it just entirely shows you how complicit the corporate media is with the differences in administrations. I mean, regardless of where you're at, you're liberal or you're conservative, the, the lengths that people go to to try to rebrand things I don't know that there's ever been a more obvious example of the immigration detention facilities yeah. and how they talk about them during the Trump administration versus the Biden administration. So, Like right here, I have an article from CNN. It says Biden administration prepares to open overflow facility for migrant children. And the article says the Biden administration is opening an overflow facility for unaccompanied migrant children apprehended at the U.S.-Mexico border. The federal agency tasked with the children's care told CNN in a statement. I like I like overflow facility because it, you know, like it sounds it sounds similar to the way my church describes like the excess seating during the Christmas or the Easter. service. Yeah. yeah. You know, just a little overflow, guys. Yeah, You know, <laughs> they came, you know, there was wasn't quite enough rooms available. We had to turn some over late in the day. So uh, yeah. we, an overflow we, facility. We had the cages a bit full. So we, we made excess cages, which we're referring to as overflow facility. But also. We're talking about unaccompanied minors, otherwise known as family separation. Correct. Family and it's funny. It's like, oh, oh, you know, well, but uh, the, the best memes I saw, I'm, you know, M. Brassenstein, if you're not following one Twitter, the guy's a, a true artist. The memes about this have been incredible. Like, yeah. you know, it was, it was Biden who, who helped set up this policy back in the Obama administration. Then he runs on saying we've got we, we we can't we can't have kids in cages, and now I mean he's expanding it like now there are overflow cages. But it's just it's just such a perfect example, and we talked about this previously on the podcast um, with the issue of coronavirus, where you know Biden runs for a year saying you know day one we are going to stop this, we are not going to shut down America, we're going to shut down the virus. <laughs> he gets in office within forty eight hours. Well, you know what? We can't change the trajectory for three months. Can't yeah. do it, guys. Can't do it. Was and that on the three-point plan? I missed that somewhere. That was in there, right? <laughs> but it's the same thing here. It's like, turns out uh, when you got caravans coming from Central America and you got unaccompanied you know, kids coming to the border, eh, it's, it's a little bit more complicated yeah. when you're in charge. Well, they told us that the, that the caravans were fake, right? This is right, like yeah. a ginned up Fox News issue to try to create attention for Republican policies before a midterm election, right? Ah. They didn't really exist. Right. It didn't really exist. But now, in addition to the overflow facility, this is another little vernacular change that I really appreciated. I got from Yahoo. So Yahoo News does, uh, which, you know, like, don't read it. It sucks. Um, but they say there were roughly 4,730 children in the, care, in the care of HHS, Health and Human Service, Office of Refugee Resettlement 
as of Thursday. Kids in cages. <laughs> yeah. Kids in cages. Yeah. The different, the resettlement. Oh, it's a resettlement program. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you got to resettle them into the overflow cage. So <laughs> it's, just so, it's just so wildly offensive because of the outrage, you know? Yeah. I mean, are we going to forget that the Obama administration literally created all of these policies? Mm-hmm. Blamed them on the Trump administration and now are reincorporating them in the Biden administration and called by a different name. Yeah, I, I'm old enough to remember every celebrity in Hollywood crying on Twitter about we're better than this. We can't have kids in cages. And then they're all just like they saw the fireworks. Biden's elected. All right. The kids are in cages. It's OK. They called them. <laughs> they called them concentration camps. Yeah, they did. Now we they have did. overflow resettlement. Uh, for children. Good job. They AOC down at the border. Remember the whole, just oh, yeah. Oh, the yeah. Big sort of production out of the whole deal. I mean, the issue, it was such a, a massive issue. It just really the outrage that they got and they just pushed on the public. They're like, Trump did this. Trump caused it. Trump built these cages. Now, I, I mean, let's take shots at uh, the other, uh, our, our, uh, podcast on the left, Pod Save America, who, who tweeted out that picture of their like, this is not who we are of a kid in the cage. And then okay. people like did the image search on that. And, and it was a kid in the cage from Obama's time when they, when they were working for him. I was like, wow, that's it in a nutshell, folks. The ultimate boomerang tweet. <laughs> <laughs> so bad, but, but they have, you know, I mean, it's not just this issue. It's every issue. It's everything that they're dealing with from coronavirus, as Duncan mentioned, yep. to the immigration issue, mm-hmm. basically everything that this administration is encountering, it's, it's undergoing a rebranding effort that doesn't change much in terms of the policy, but tries to make you feel good about it. You and know, so you're like, think about this, like, think about how the media has been doing this, how the media did this for all of 2020, you know where they decided they're they're going to be, you know, essentially the Dem super PAC. They're going to do everything they can to make sure Trump isn't reelected. And they joined together to make sure the Hunter Biden story isn't covered. It's scary how heavily they weigh in and they back them up. And every, you know, Jen Psaki press conference is basically them, you know, hanging out with a friend. It's not like they're actually there doing their job. You remember how many of them were trying to get book deals by jumping up and and shouting Mm -hmm. questions like at Jim Acosta. You're not seeing that anymore, folks, are you? No, no. It really is something. But, you know, I will say the the pieces that they found the most offensive of the Trump administration, they are continuing under a different name. But the things that they are doing over the first two weeks in terms of executive orders run in, in complete contrast to the narrative about Joe Biden, about mm-hmm. what his administration would do about how this was sort of a moment to change the tone and he was a kind of caretaker of American democracy. Yeah. The guy's a goddamn radical. I'll be, I mean, and I don't know if it's Joe Biden or if it's his staff or if it, or what it is, but when you're fir- one of your first acts is to eliminate 11,000 jobs in the heartland of this country yep. amidst a pandemic and you do it with a stroke of the pen and, and no remorse whatsoever, you're a monster. You're a monster. And when you do it solely for ideological reasons, it makes it so much worse. It's not like you weighed the balances of like, these people need food on their family's table. 
these people, you know, I, I may not like what they're doing, but gosh, we're in a tough economic time. He just like came in now, Tom Stort Steyer told me to do it. And he gave me billions of dollars in my super PAC. So here we go. And it's fine because when Biden was running, he was like, oh, you know, Trump is a tyrant. You can't rule a country with executive orders and, uh, you know, not reach out to Congress to accomplish these things. Uh, Trump had what, like, I think five maybe executive orders and, and Biden's 27 already. Yeah. Yeah. Absolute hypocrisy. It's terrible. And, and, but it extends beyond this too. And I actually get a kick out of this because, you know, I've been doing this a little while and I've watched three different administrations come in and they all handle the first hundred days differently. Uh, but, but the, the goal is the same. You win a big election, you want to capitalize all of the political capital that you've raised in the winning of that election to try to do something big early that mm-hmm. you promised voters that you were going to do and just, and just get it done because the political capital runs out quickly, yeah. right? You burn it. Obama, he did Obamacare. That was what they, they chose to do, right? They got it done. It cost them the, the house in the midterm, but they got it done. You know, we're, our healthcare system will probably be forever damaged as a result, but they did it. This guy, he gets in there and they are, they are doing on a entirely partisan level COVID relief. Yeah. They're, I mean, 80% of America agrees that there's COVID relief. Do you know how easy COVID relief is to do on a bipartisan basis? I mean, Trump and McConnell got COVID relief done twice with 80 plus votes. 80, and, and now we turn it over to the Democrats and they're like, no, 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 we're going to have to go through this weird budget uh, reconciliation process and, and try to get 51 Democratic votes for it because we can't get a single Republican to buy into our lunatic plans. I mean, they're, they're, like I said before, they're just trying to like they, they said it, you know, when, when people tell you who they are, believe them. They kept saying, we're going to we're going to rebuild better, which is just that's just fancy talk for Green New Deal. They have their policy list and they want to sneak it in under the cover of we have to pass this now. It's COVID relief. I do like that the new uh, learn to code is build the solar panels. Yeah. Uh, You know, and there's such a like a dismissive quality to all of this. Right. And it's sort of like. I mean, we saw it with uh, Governor Cuomo in New York as well. Um, Remember early on in the pandemic when, you know, people were protesting and saying like, look, like, like small businesses are dying, like bars, restaurants are dying. Like we, we got to reopen parts of this smartly uh, to get the economy moving again. You remember what he said? He was like, uh, take a job as an essential worker. Oh yeah. God. yeah. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I mean, it, it, it there is some real radical stuff that is, that is happening right now. And I, I know that the, there's a lot of disappointed conservatives out there in the election. And we all have our opinions about that in the aftermath and the rebuilding of the Republican Party. But we, we have to pay attention to what's happening right now. Because yeah. we have never been closer to socialism in this country than we are amidst this pandemic. Never. And what they're trying to do is close the door on it. They're, they're trying to ensure that they control whether your business is open. They're trying to control the the method by which your livelihood is earned, whether they can dole out the check directly from the government for heaven's sakes. I mean, they're trying to control if you're even allowed to, to speak your mind. Yeah. That's the latest. 
They're, they're after a uh, deep programming conservatives. It's really something. They had a, a legitimate talking point from the White House podium about whether they were going to put a commission of truth together. Yeah. Is yeah. that 1984 that very or what? normal. I mean, that's just, that is the scariest damn thing I've heard in a long time. So anyway, I, I, we don't have time to, to, to talk about our differences and all this nonsense. Like we need to get to work. And we got to we got to throw this back in their faces because, frankly, they're trying they're trying to end conservative viewpoints in America today. Yeah. United we stand, folks. Um, Right. And you know what? I think it's a perfect time to just seg into speaking of covid relief and getting things done and helping folks during this crisis. I think we have someone on our interview who knows a thing or two about that. Man, does he ever. I I think you're really going to like this guy. He's not been on the national radar because he's been very into Virginia, um, both philanthropy, business, and, and now he's running for governor. But you're going to come away with this really, really impressed. There are very few people who I meet and talk to uh, in the world of politics that do things genuinely because they believe it's the right thing to do that don't consider themselves as a political advantage as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And like this guy was doing the right thing for year after year after year when nobody was watching. You know, yeah. and and now he's a candidate and now you can see where his heart is. And I, I mean, I was I was really impressed. Look, there's a lot of candidates that are going to be running for governor. And, I, you know, if more of them want to come on the program, fine. But I, I, I got to say, Pete Snyder really impressed me today. Let's get into it. I want to welcome to the program, Pete Snyder. Pete, how are you? Hey, Josh, thanks for having me. Fired up to be on Ruthless. Listen, I've known you and your wife, Burson, for a lot of years, and I got to say, I was totally thrilled to hear that you decided you want to run for governor of Virginia. Hey, thank you, my friend. Uh, We're excited. We've been on the trail for a little over a week. We announced last week, uh, had a spectacular start to this thing. I'm sure bombs and missiles will be coming in soon, but uh, (laughs) I love it. And actually, it's very funny. On day one, the DGA came after me, and it's kind of like that uh, scene in The Jerk with Steve Martin when he's in the phone book. He's like, hey, I am someone. It was fantastic. <laughs> I loved it when they keep it coming, DGA. Let's go. You must be doing something right if you've gotten their attention, right? Absolutely. So one of the things that I, I imagine most of our listeners have not paid as granular attention to as we have in Virginia uh, is your philanthropic efforts. And one of the things that was really, really impressive to me is that you were at the beginning of, of helping small businesses try to bridge the gap uh, when the, the closures and the quarantines all happened back in, in March of, of 2020. And you immediately put together a 30-day fund that sort of led the way. Uh, what, was, what was that experience like? How did you know that this was going to be as significant as it ultimately ended up being for small business? You know, Josh, I'd love to lie to you and say we knew it was going to be the most significant thing for eons. We didn't. We were, you know, we were in the worst possible place you'd ever want to be when this pandemic broke out. Worst place, guarantee you, which is Disney World with our five-year-old daughter, elbow to elbow with tens of thousands of people from all over the world and about a third from China. And, uh, you know, we saw that uh, Wall Street shuttered. March Madness was canceled. The world was going to be... uh, shutting down. We hightailed it out of uh, Orlando back to Charlottesville. We took a look around and said, you know, how do we help? What is going on? You know, Burst and I don't have medical degrees or backgrounds. So we were 
virtually useless in helping out the front lines of what was happening, but we know a thing or two about small business. And also, Burson's 15 years on Capitol Hill really came into play because she took one look at the CARES Act. I mean, Josh, we know oftentimes Washington's up to no good, right? Every once in a while, there are good intentions that are happening, and let's give it to the CARES Act. It was well-intended $2 trillion being pumped into the economy. But Burson looked at it and said, there is no way that is getting to the people who truly need it in time. And, you know, the dirty little secret of small businesses is you're not sitting on a year of cash reserves or even right. six months. Most folks have about two weeks in the bank and, other, and, and then they're screwed. So we knew that it was going to take way too long and people were going to be dying on the vine. So we got some friends together and pooled a little bit of money and said, how do we give people a lifeline? In this case, it was in the form of a $3,000 fully forgivable loan grant, if you will, just to help them keep the payroll going, keep the lights on, pay the rent till hopefully in a month or so we get through this thing. And when you're dumb enough to name your nonprofit the 30-day fund, right? <laughs> you think you're only going to be around for, I don't know, 30 days, 45 days. I mean, whatever happened to two weeks will flatten, flatten the curve. None of us thought that this was going to be going on for the better part of the year. But, you know, we are now 11 months into this thing. And I am proud to say we have funded and helped save over 900 small businesses in every single corner of Virginia, all around the Commonwealth. And, you know, I think even more significant, um, I'm a tech guy. So uh, we decided to open source what we do. And I got to give a shout out and credit to Nick Ayers, who's a, a friend of both of ours, who said to me, Pete, why aren't you open sourcing this? I mean, this is your DNA. You're, you know, you, you're, you're a tech guy. Why not? So we did. And it has popped up. We've helped people start it in Arkansas. Sarah Sanders mm -hmm. went gangbusters on it there. Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Mississippi, Georgia. Uh, so, you know, we've been helping in a lot of states. And then in December, uh, a guy named Dave Portnoy, uh, who many yeah. of us know, who is the, the founder of Barstool Sports, went on Tucker Carlson. And, you know, I like to believe, Josh, that I've been a strong advocate for speaking up for small business and the plight of folks. But I got to give credit to Dave. No one has articulated it better than mm -hmm. Dave all year long. Uh, and he went on Tucker and said, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. We're going to start a fund. Uh, he got flooded with applications, flooded with money, and about 12 hours later, we heard from Barstool's parent company, and they basically said, hey, look, uh, you don't know us, but, but we've been watching you. No one's been doing this better. How about we partner? So the Barstool Fund runs through a 30-day fund, and they're our partners, and you know, in about 10 months, we've raised north of $40 million, all going to small business. Every single dime of it, it's a zero overhead operation. Burson and I cover the, the costs of staff and, and kind of getting the work done. Um, and we're just getting started. I mean, we've yeah. helped save 2,500 small businesses all around America. Unfortunately, this thing isn't ending, and we're going to be around as long as people need us. Yeah, that's great. And it's a perfect example. Look, there's a lot of people running for office who try to do the right thing in public. And this is a perfect example of somebody like yourself and your wife who are doing the right thing when nobody's looking. And, uh, and so I, I just, I thank you for it because we've watched sort of friends and neighbors and, and people throughout Virginia struggle with this, you know, our favorite restaurants, our favorite little shops, things that uh, have taken generations to build basically go away in, in the blink of an eye. And, and you've been standing there helping them out. So we really appreciate it. 
No, thank you, my man. It's like, you know, what you just said is true. There isn't a single person listening to this podcast right now that doesn't know a small business owner who's been struggling or someone who went under or worked for a business and got laid off or, you know, you and your wife lose your favorite joint that you'd go to around the corner because they just couldn't hang on. It's happened to everyone. Yeah. I just hope Dave didn't put the uh, proceeds in GameStop because I don't feel like that went that well this week. <laughs> <laughs> I know Smug is laughing about that, you know, where the empire strikes back. I'm telling you, I always bet on the little guy. Uh, I'll bet on the Reddit Raiders over the institutional uh, SOBs any day of the week. Oh, that's good. That's good. I'm glad to, to carry that flag with you. Smug will give us hell, but that's the right thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I really wanted to touch on with you, because I know you're really passionate about it, and it actually got me out of my seat last week on this program, uh, is schools. And Virginia, for whatever reason, seems to have a particular problem that is now getting national attention. But you've been on this for a long time. It seems like a real centerpiece to your campaign. Uh, these school boards that are entirely beholden to teachers' unions have just time and time again decided that the well-being of our children has come deeply secondary to whatever sort of power they can consolidate amongst these teachers' unions. And, and the result has been nobody's in school. Josh, it has been absolutely horrific what's been happening in Virginia. You know, the vast majority, probably about 95% of the public schools a year into this pandemic are closed, absolutely closed. Some offer hybrid and some are trying to open up to that. But there is a stranglehold going on right now through the quote unquote teachers association. We don't have unions in Virginia, but it's the same thing. And the teachers union calling all the shots. And the problem is we have a feckless governor who got caught in a, a horrible and mortifying scandal a couple of years back and has sold his soul to the woke crowd uh, so that he could survive. He's not standing up to the teachers unions uh, and any of the Democrats, Terry McAuliffe or any of the cast of characters, including the communist, there's no way they're gonna stand up to the teachers unions anytime between now and June 6th, which, which is their primary. So, you know, you have these, um, if you look at Loudoun County, Fairfax County, Arlington, Alexandria, you know, Rona, all across the Commonwealth, our kids are being locked out of school. And there is an uprising happening right now. There is a movement, uh, an open our schools movement that is taking capture all around the Commonwealth. I was in Loudoun County last night at a school board meeting, I don't know, average school board meeting, meeting what? You'd probably have 20 people showing up, right? We had over 300 waiting in 20 degree weather wow. so that they could speak. Wow. And I was out there encouraging folks, obviously opening our schools is my number one issue. Uh, we are putting resources into the game. Person and I and a handful of friends have funded to the tune of six figures, the open movement in Fairfax County. Uh, and we're gonna be holding obstructionist school board members responsible. So we're gonna be recalling those who are getting in the way. We're starting in Fairfax, and guess what? We're going to go all across the Commonwealth with, with that. And, you know, an operative may say, hey, Snyder, wh why are you doing that? I mean, you're running in a convention. You need to win the nomination. Then you need to, you know, uh, win in November. Why are you focused on this right now? The fight is right now. Forget about November. You know, the fight is right now. We need to force and make these people do their jobs. And, the, and the, the secret here is teachers actually want to get back in the classroom. You don't do your job. You don't become a teacher to make tons of money. You know, you go join Smug on Wall Street and do something like that. 
but no, you do it because you love teaching. You love being in the classroom. You didn't sign up to be an IT administrator over Zoom. Right. Not at all. So we're trying to give a platform and a voice to those who really feel unseen and unheard right now. Um, and Josh, you know, you, you have watched candidates work lines a million one times, right? Right. And we all know what happens. Probably about 80 or 90% of the people in the line don't want to be bothered. They tell you to buzz off. And, you know, you get one or two or three that actually talk to you. Every single parent and student in that line wanted to talk. Yeah. Every single one. And it's not because of me. It's because they wanted to tell their story. They have felt shut down and not listened to. And they were coming there standing in the cold so they could say their piece. They pay their tax dollars. They care deeply about their children. And they want to get them back in the classroom. It was heartbreaking. Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting, Pete. I've, I've watched some of the folks in, just in my neighborhood, right, where very easily classified as the woke left, right? These, these, are, these are folks that are committed progressives, good people, but they're committed progressives. I disagree with almost everything. And there has been just, just this awakening in the last six months that, you know, perhaps their view of the world in terms of this top-down governmental with picking winners and losers type operation isn't exactly working out for them. And, and there's no better issue that highlights that than the fact that they can't get their kids educated, you know, and, and trying to figure out, I mean, the, trying to figure out how to provide curriculum to your kid while you're holding down a job. I mean, that is a very desperate situation. So I, I, when you say that you're hearing people that are, wanting to share your story. I think this is a game changer in Virginia politics. I really do. Uh, Josh, mark my words, and this is not bravado. We're going to win this nomination and we're going to win in November. And it's not because of me. It's, it's because of this issue. It's because people feel unseen and unheard by government. Government, you know, we had the worst crisis that we faced in over a hundred years. And guess what? Government failed. At every level, government failed. And in Virginia, especially, you know, we were last, nearly last in testing for COVID when people try to figure this thing out. Yeah. Our shutdowns and haphazard, hand-handed decisions that treated Bristol, Virginia, as if it's Fairfax, mm -hmm. destroyed businesses. We were, up until a day or two ago, 50 out of 50 states in administering this vaccine. Our neighbors next door, our sisters at uh, West Virginia, were number one, and Virginia is 50. I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely crazy. And this is, you know, we have the only physician governor in America. Yeah, what and, happened to that? Yeah, I mean, like, let, let's take our R hat off and take his D hat off. If Hollywood were writing a script about <laughs> who could be the action hero, the superhero in this whole thing, wouldn't it be the only physician governor? He knows science. He knows government. He, he, he lifts his state up and leads America. Unfortunately, Ralph Northam has zero leadership skills and zero back. And, and you know, now that's why our schools a year into this are still closed. That's why I'm running for governor. That's why we're going to win. I'd like to believe my background uh, enables me to help pull us out of this mess, focus on the things that truly matter, and actually have Virginia, which has led America. I mean, as an entrepreneur, I love to say, we founded the single greatest startup in the history of the world. The Virginia company founded America, right? I mean, we did. <laughs> That's right. We haven't been leading for the past 10 years or so. We've been trailing. It's time to get us ahead again. 
Yeah, look, I love it. And, and Boyd is a, a country, not only Virginia, but the country need problem solvers right now. You know, you've got people that are stuck in partisan corners um, for a range of issues, but we got a mountain of problems in front of us. You mentioned Ralph Northam not doing a damn thing. I got to tell you, even worse than that would be a Terry McAuliffe. So listen, I, I, I don't need another Clinton uh, glitterati coming back and for another four years. I got to tell you, that didn't work out last time. <laughs> Tell you, like Groundhog Day was yesterday. It was a fantastic movie, an absolute classic. Terry, Terry the second time, bad movie. We don't want to see it again. And you know, it's just what are you in it for? It's we everyone knows Terry stands for nothing but Terry and money. I mean, really, that's kind of there's no core value there. Um, I think he's gonna have a challenge uh, in his primary. I imagine he gets through. I can't wait to go toe-to-toe with that guy. Yeah, I can't I wait. Can't wait. It's going to be a blast. And, you know, Terry loves to blow into a cocktail scene and, and make all sorts of promises. He's going to hate having to answer for his record. And really, the eight years, this is eight years of Northam McCullough. And he installed his body guy as mayor of Richmond. <laughs> he did. And, Josh, our capital city was literally on fire for the, the better part of four to six weeks, led by mob rule uh, this summer. And, and Burson and I have a personal story about that. On uh, We have a, uh, an, an ownership stake in a, in a small business, Richmond based, it's on Broad Street, um, and they have a storefront. And on the second night of the riots in Richmond this summer, two bricks came through a plate glass storefront window about one in the morning, four woke kids, burst through the plate glass, went in, looted and robbed nearly everything in the showroom. What was left over was covered in blood. I mean, I, I posted this to social media and Instagram when it happened. And, and guess what? Wasn't a single police officer anywhere in sight. And it wasn't their fault. The mayor told them to stand down. I mean, if ever there is a poster child of why the Second Amendment, uh, <laughs> why there's a need for it and why it's sacred, it was last year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and then just that story. I mean, look, the bricks through the window aren't going to hurt you, but it sure as heck is going to hurt the people who had to go to work there the next morning, right? That's, and, 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 we were, and, and it was a double gut punch. It was you're dealing with COVID and retail's hard and everyone's suffering. Uh, and then you have that happen. We actually, through Virginia 30 Day Fund, had to double fund at least a dozen companies that we helped out stay alive during COVID. But guess what? They got ransacked and looted. We had a, a restaurant owner in Richmond. Their entire bar, of course, the top shelf stuff was taken. You know, they, they, they ruined her plate glass window. And she said, Pete, I'm just trying to survive. Yeah. And this happens to me again. So we, we earmarked $100,000 to help out folks that were doubly hit. Uh, it's awful. And this is what happens when you have leadership that just simply don't believe in law and order and, and, and are more focused on trying to restore the rights of criminals than actually restore the rights of law-abiding citizens. Gosh, isn't that the truth? Well, Pete, listen, you and your wife are doing the Lord's work. But before I, I let you go here, I got three very important questions. That <laughs> let her rip, man. Let her rip. <laughs> all of the minions pay great attention to and evaluate them uh, accordingly. Um, the first one, the very revealing question about your appetite, which is if your last meal on earth was prepared for you, what would it be? So the great thing about last meal on earth is I get to have as much of anything as I want, right? That's I mean, this exactly is unlimited. So no rule, we're going to two for here, okay? I'm going to have mom's spaghetti casserole. No, I'm not Marshall Mathers, but it's mom's spaghetti casserole 
Uh, it is like straight out of 1978, Velveeta, layers, it's just fantastic. But then I'm also gonna have uh, dry ribs from the barbecue shop in Memphis, Tennessee, where my bride's from, small ah. beans on the side, uh, and then also a half and half. I'll get half sweet, half unsweet iced tea. The best part about this is how much thought you've put into exactly what it is that you'd get. Oh, come on, man. If you, this, is, this is end of days, and I'm, you know, I'm getting, oh, I've I heard the key lime pie at the end to top it off. Boom. <laughs> That's brilliant. That, there's some specificity there that we don't get with everybody. I like that. Plan, please. brother, a plan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this one, this question, I feel like just sort of misses the mark with you because you just explained to us what it is that you do and, and how you're involved in your community. The question is, if you weren't involved in politics, what would you do? I feel like we kind of already know. I, I think you do. And, and this is the straight up honest answer. The best job I ever had in my life was co-founder of the Virginia 30 Day Fund. Uh, I loved it every single day. Never worked harder, never worked harder. Uh, but it was the most rewarding job I ever had. And if you told me, Josh, in 2019, Hey, Snyder, guess what? You're going to spend the better part of next year running a nonprofit. I would have thought you were insane. Not that I wouldn't have wanted to help, but Ronnie, are you kidding me? Right. Uh, it was the most rewarding work, and it was led on target every single day. You knew there was an acute problem that you had an acute solution for, and it was making a difference every day. Probably, you know, 60% of the conversations that I had, I called every single one of the 900 plus small business owners when we funded them, every single one of them. And 60% of the time they wound up in tears. That's gotta be and, the most rewarding call of all time, by the way. Oh, oh my word. Oh my, and then I turned into a softie because I, yeah. I keep it together probably at four out of every five times. And then <laughs> by the third or fourth week of doing this, I, I'd come up to the house from the office and first of it, did you cry again today? <laughs> you cried again, didn't you? <laughs> but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And, and, and hopefully we have a, a lot more work to do with it in the future. Yeah. Well, gosh, we thank you. Here's the last question. What motivates Pete Snyder more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? So look, as, as an entrepreneur, you have to be an optimist, right? I am an optimist at heart, so you have to be an optimist. That's why it's agony of defeat. I am petrified of bankruptcy and failure. And, you know, whether, it's, whether I'm in business or, or on the campaign trail, or even in the gym, it's like to crank out an extra rep or two and do an extra mile. It is like I have like demons inside of me that I'm running from. Uh, you can't fail. Uh, that's it. It's agony of defeat. Listen, Pete, I got to tell you, thank you very much for joining the program today. I feel like we got a lot out of this. I think people are going to support you, your campaign. I wish you nothing but the best of luck, my man, because this is a really, really important election. Not just, you know, before I let you go. The, the results in off-year elections in Virginia and New Jersey over the last 20 years have paid a very, very big path, paved the, a very big road into what politics looks like thereafter. And if you can figure out how to win this race, it is the resurrection of the Republican Party, my man. Josh, we are going to win this nomination. We are going to win this race. And it has nothing to do with me. It's what government has done and how they failed, how they're locking our kids out of their schools and destroyed the hopes and dreams of so many and what they did to small business. That's going to carry us to the finish line. That hopefully will be a roadmap ahead for all of us. And I know at the end of something like this, I'm supposed to plug my website and ask for donations. Here's the deal. 
If you know someone who's hurting, have them go to va30dayfund.com. If you have a, a little bit of, if you did get the upside of game of GameStop uh, <laughs> and you have some left over and you want to give, give it to Virginia 30 Day. Well, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna do all my fundraising calls. We're gonna do everything we need to do to win this campaign, but help out those in need. Okay. What a refreshing voice, Pete Snyder. Thanks for coming on, pal. Thanks, brother. Thanks for all you do. Yeah, great interview. Impressive guy. He really is. And it, I mean, I'll be honest. I, I think that there's a special thing happening across this country with the renaissance of people who had considered themselves maybe not woke, but certainly liberal. Um, and they viewed the, everything through a democratic lens who are seeing what's happening to their children mm-hmm. and their communities and saying like, this doesn't work. Yeah. This doesn't work. And Pete's tapping deeply into that. I mean, he's heard in this interview, he he's meeting with people that are just looking for answers. And I think if there's a roadmap back for Republicans, he might very well be drawing it right now. Yeah. I mean like that, the situation right now with kids not having, you know, not being able to be in school and they're just, they're missing out, especially, you know, special needs kids that, you know, are not having their educational needs met. And, you know, you're only seeing from the Biden administration and Democrats across the the Democrat governors across the country, just siding with the teachers unions when the CDC and the science, which we were told to believe the scientists, the science is saying, open up the schools. The thing I like about Pete is, I mean, look, I, I worked in politics a long time. It makes you kind of jaded and cynical, like for sure. Pete is just eternally optimistic. Yeah. Like, like, like disarmingly optimistic, you know, like, you just like, can't believe the guy could be so positive. It's so true. You know? And so like, <laughs> sad, right? But it's true. Yeah. And, 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 and so like to take on this issue of the schools and go out there and, and, and talk to angry, rightfully so angry parents, you know, and say, I'm going to run for governor uh, in Virginia, I mean, you just got to be a positive person with a great outlook to like take on that huge challenge. Oh, and so, and, and Republicans have gotten their doors blown off right. for like three straight cycles, right? I mean, he's running into an absolute headwind and he's doing it with a smile on his face. It's so funny that you say that, Duncan. The first time I ever met Pete, I was like, this guy's got to be faking it. There's no <laughs> way he's this positive, right? Yeah. But he is. You know, he is and he's and he's doing it anyway. You know, a big part of what we're trying to do with the variety program is provide a vision for what the future looks like. And I think we've did that with Daniel Cameron. Pete is certainly fits the bill for that. And that's what we need, folks. We got to keep moving forward. And I think that's where we wrap this one. Right. That's another solid episode in the can. So, until next time, Minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. Stay ruthless.